August. Um, we've already talked about the um, dramatic amount of rents that are increasing. Um, sellers across England and Wales achieve an average 95.94% of their asking price, according to research from a state agency comparison website, Get Agent. Okay. And I, I think we're going to have a dispute on this one. <laughs> <laughs> what, what is the asking price? Are you talking about the asking price they originally the market at? Or the yeah. price uh, they reduce to because mm -hmm. what quite often happens and I see it all the time is an agent takes a property to the market at uh, £600,000 and it doesn't sell they reduce it to five fifty. it doesn't sell it comes off the market two weeks later it goes back on with the same agent or different agent at five hundred, and it sells at four ninety five. Yeah. now there's a property that has got a very close uh, percentage of the uh, full price but not the full original price A is that original price was it too high to start with uh, and B, is that price more realistic? So, you know, what price are they saying is the marketing price that they're comparing yeah. the selling price to? And the, on the lies, bet and lies and statistics, mm -hmm. that's a national percentage. Whereas I think we, we both know that um, in Oxfordshire, last year um, in September, average price reduction from first listed to sale price was 7.9%. One month, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So again, you're, not, you're not far off 10% there, are you, from what you're asking to what you're actually going to get? Yeah. Again, it goes back to the training, doesn't it? I mean, I think, you know, that's a hor horrendous example you've given there of somebody who's going out doing all these viewings without any training. But I imagine there's a similar thing happening where, you know, somebody looks like they know what they're doing. Off they go and they're valuing property and, you know, they're on commission. They're on a low salary, uh, topped up with, uh, you know, a larger amount of commission. And you want to get your foot in the door. You want to win that business. So sadly, the... The sort of way that you know we go about valuing property, you know, is by comparables. But equally, sometimes the, the you know the head rules the heart. You know, if the vendor is a strong person and that young person who sat there can't control you know their um, sort of expectations in terms of property, you know, there's a number of reasons I think why these properties sometimes go on at the wrong price, yeah. um, and then it takes a bit of time for everybody to realise. So. It's complicated, but it know, does depend it, again on where just the business. The instruction? It depends on where the business is focused. If the business is focused on increasing their stock, they will have a quarterly incentive to say those that list most will come out for, for lunch or supper with us. Um, to get more stock in, in on the sales side, you do uh, three things: you uh, increase your valuation price, and uh, we met a person quite recently who said that their uh, training, where they were taking away and trained to value, uh, they were called two stops down. So if they thought the house was going to sell for 500, you'd reduce to 500 from 525, 530. And then the second stop would be 550, 575. So if you think it's going to be 500, put it on as 575 and see. There is an argument that says, actually, if we're in the buoyant market, somebody might pay that price. So it's not uh, totally reckless to do that, mm -hmm. so long as the seller is uh, totally connected with what the strategy is. But to value a house or to put the house on the market at 575, knowing it's only going to be 500, is potentially dangerous. The second thing they do is they reduce their fees to make their offering more attractive than the other estate agents. And then the third thing they do is they bring in these long sole agency contracts for, we saw one a few weeks ago, for 52 weeks. So wow. the seller was signed into that client, oh. to that agent for 52 weeks. Is that legal? Now, I guess uh, it is, it's a contract. I'm not a lawyer, but I think it is a contract that you know, maybe it's unreasonable. Um, but the client was a, an elderly lady on her own, and I think that was bad practice. Now, if you had a license, the agent could take to task on that and could potentially lose the license, and therefore, in my opinion, probably wouldn't have done that in yeah. the first place. Yeah. Um, 
I think property should come to the market as close to its real value as possible so that it's more attractive, it brings more people in as soon as it's launched, it gets more uh, uh, viewings, it gets more offers, will sell more quickly and will get close to the price. If you overinflate it by one stop or two stops, when it reduces to its real value, people say it's coming down now, yeah. watch it, and then it'll come to here and here, and it'll probably end up selling for less than it would have done mm. if it was put on the market at the right place to start with. Well, certainly our, te our technology, a lot of it's designed for vendors to manage their own expectations. Um, the trouble is, if if the comparables that they're looking at are all overpriced, yeah, then their expectations don't get managed at all because they no. expect they expect no. to still get that. That's why comps should only bring in comparables should only be brought in when they're actually selling prices. Yeah, there's no point in comparing yourself to other houses yeah, that haven't sold. If you want to be idea. one of them, yes. that's it. Yeah. So comps should only be on the sales achieved. I, I think when we're on comps, what we should say is that uh, you need to index them. So if you take a comp that was you know a house that was just four doors up that sold a year ago and prices have fallen by 5% that year, then you need to bring that sale price down to today's current value. And there are quite a few uh, simple ways you can index it. You can look on Zoofly, go to Nationwide. You, you've slipped us nicely into September. I love the way you oh, keep doing right. I just want to get to Christmas. <laughs> <bit>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, September, house prices have fallen in September for the first time since 2010. As Brexit uncertainty continues to cast a long shadow over the UK housing market, according to Rightmove. Yeah. Do we remember that? So, uh, okay, so I'm quite into my prices and I'm quite into my index and, and stats. Um, and I think whenever you uh, turn on the news and you see that house prices have fallen, they don't actually say in that area or that house type. Uh, and uh, Nationwide Producer has got a very good house price calculator where you can put in the uh, different regions that you live in, so it brings it down. Yeah. But even so, with a nationwide house price index, that the country's broken down to 13 regions. One is uh, Scotland, one is Wales, one is Northern Ireland, so you get an idea how big these regions are. So you have 10 regions, then the rest of England split across 10 regions. Uh, some parts of the region do very well, other parts do very poorly, so the average for that region is zero. So you say for that region, house prices have neither risen nor fallen. It's not true. Those have risen, those have fallen and you quote just that stat. So when they say house prices have fallen, uh, where are they talking about? What area are they talking about? Are they talking about land registry data, which is often three months after the sales agreed? Um, are they talking you know, mortgage valuation data because that's at the point the sale is at the property is valued? So you need to get more information when you talk about a statistic of house prices rising or falling. Yeah, and yeah. it's often linked to London, isn't it? You know, and um, that's where it would go huge as well. So I agree with yeah, yeah. you know, Do you want me to give you some stats? Yeah, let's go on, stat gun. So um, th this is from the Nationwide House Price Index, which, as I say, is the one that I think is, is most uh, related to, to the West Oxfordshire property market. Supply also have a very good indexing system as well. They're, they're not the same, but they're, they're very similar. And if you take the 13 regions for 2019, uh, Greater London was the region that fell the most in percentage terms by 1.85%. Right. Uh, West Oxfordshire is in a region called Outer South East mm. on the Nationwide <laughs> Index, which again is a massive region. You know, I've never thought of myself in West Oxfordshire being <laughs> southeast, to be <laughs> fair. And we're quite outer, outer southeast here, but that's the zone that, that we're in. And Outer South East was the region that fell uh, next to London by 1.01%. Uh, all of the other regions that they report uh, rose in prices. So, of course, if you put those all together, you'd probably say house prices went up by, you know, 1 or 2% last year. Yeah. In Whitney, uh, we 
we, we track uh, six actual properties in mm. different locations in Whitney and we say if we sold that house today what would it fetch and that's our house price index right. we have the different house types yeah. and then we have those six house types across different developments within Whitney and the villages and we can say we're not 100 percent sure just yet we've finalized it we think somewhere between five six seven percent off in prices for Whitney West Oxfordshire in 2019. Really? Okay. Wow. So if you put that into the outer southeast mm -hmm. and they say minus one percent, uh, some would have performed uh, better than that, some would have performed not as well. Yeah. So you look at West Oxfordshire and you say, why did prices come off so much? Well, if you look at 2016 17, we saw more growth in the other regions. Right. So I think our drop in price, price last year was just a correction of that extra rise yeah so I think if you look at the stats for the balance between supply and demand I think we're now at our new norm which puts the balance of supply uh, up here and the balance of demand down here homes are still selling at the same kind of rate but it's off a much 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 bigger base of uh, is, homes that, is that affected by the big reductions on new build as well taking a, a big percentage of the market this is almost like scripted but I can oh. tell you those answers <laughs> as well yeah, I think the point is there's macro and micro markets aren't there so you know all this generalization is great to see which bits yeah. of the country are going up and down but as Tim's highlighting here, you know, within our own, you know, micro economies, and Oxford is very different to London. Yes, it gets the ripple effect from London, but it's then counters, as you've highlighted here. You know, for some reason, Whitney was either a little bit overheated, or it's got perhaps a load more new homes being built. Yeah. And if you look around Oxford at the moment, that must be having an effect. So let's put some numbers to it yeah. then, shall we? Okay, so um, on December 31st, 2016, there were 11 new homes for sale in Whitney and the close villages 11 2016 December 2016 yeah. 2017 that was 30 right 2018 that was 45 wow. December just gone have a guess um 60 111 wow so when people say <coughs> you know crikey there's a lot of new homes about <laughs> wow crikey there are um we know the land supply we know what developers have got coming forward over the next two years and so that number isn't going to change over the next two years yeah um, the interesting thing is that if you look at the number of homes that are actually selling in, in, in the close villages uh, week on week, we collect the data every Monday morning at 7am, it just scrapes it all off so we know the numbers. Mm. The number of homes actually selling is about the same and has been the same over the last nine years since we've been collecting the data. Right. The only difference is the number of homes for sale for people to choose from has been changing. And I think we've gone through the last two or three years where we've seen that change, but I think we're now today at that new norm which has the supply up here and the demand here. The good thing is homes are still selling. As a, from a seller, you just need to be more competitive with your pricing. You need to have a very strong marketing plan uh, to find a buyer. But if you market property, market your property at the right price, uh, you'll still find a buyer. Well, apparently in October, new instructions dropped by 17%. As yeah. sellers refused to commit because of Brexit. Probably a national picture. I don't know where that stat came from, but that's probably a national. Um, that was from home.co.uk. Yeah, well, but again, I mean, it was just so painful, wasn't it? Every time you turn the television, I mean, it's yeah. hard to believe now, sitting here today, where you actually turn the news on, and obviously it was about Australia and those two yeah. horrendous fires. But all we heard on radio and television consistently, you know, for months, was this very negative, you know, the end of the world's coming, Brexit, governments fighting and scrapping, and, and, and the ministers, uh, you know, so it's hardly surprising that people were turned yeah. off from doing I pretty much anything. There was a stat that 72% of sellers thought that their home price would go up after Brexit. But 82% of buyers thought they'd fall. It would fall. So, yeah, that's so where we are. Yeah, yeah. Bang. yeah, stagnant market. That's where we are. Um, so, so, well, also in October, we've got um, 
anti-money laundering announced. So there's another one for our agents to get tucked into. Although it, it did, it was it was only for properties at ten thousand euros a month, um, which at that time equated to eight thousand eight hundred fifty-eight. It's probably about a month. eight thousand now. Yeah. yeah. Again, I'd just love to be the person in Whitehall somewhere. So someone says, well, let's just do it with these guys, the state owning trust, and then we'll bring in a, just anybody who's involved in property, uh, lending money, you know, selling. You know, whatever, whether there's a transaction, should have been brought into this from day one. You know, so bankers, building society people, anybody who's dealing with the, you know, the connection to property and, and the money, the movement of money, should all be, not bit by bit by bit by yeah. bit. It's just sort of, you know, I find that just very frustrating. Yeah, if you have licensed uh, yeah. realtors or estate agents in sales and lettings, and part of your license was training on uh, how to spot fraudulent activities, and you had a duty to flag that up to say, I think this one looks a bit wrong. Whether it is or whether it isn't doesn't really matter. You think it could be wrong. Your knowledge, your experience says this doesn't look right. If you have a duty to retain your license to report that, you'd report it. Yeah. yeah. So it could all be swept up again in the license of the estate agents, couldn't it? There's one last very important thing in October. VTK were awarded excellent in the software and technology category at the best EA or APA. Yeah, so that's 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 that was a great month. night, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so moving on, November, nearly at December, um, number of homes, new homes built hits a 30-year high, yeah. 241,130 net additions. Um, I actually think that's quite that's short of the target by about 60,000, I yeah. believe. Um, but it's positive, and as we say, driving around Oxfordshire, you know, you see it. You cannot, in fact, driving beyond Oxfordshire, you see it. I mean, actually, you know, I don't think you have to go very far at all to see a new homes development yeah. of some kind by some builder. I mean, I know I would argue perhaps people need to check the numbers and actually look at, you know, the aspirations. I mean, they're talking about a million homes between Oxford and Cambridge. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's a limit to any uh, nation's capacity to build these places. Uh, yeah. you know. Hasn't someone suggested that this should be called the Cotswold National Park? Then? Well, you know, so yeah. we, can, we start building. Sorry, Tim, I yeah. didn't mean to upset no, you no, with that. No, no, <laughs> no, I support that. I support that. I mean, for building new homes, you know, we need new new homes. But what I don't really like is this intervention where we're forced to build so many so quickly, yeah. and a lot of them are, are sitting empty. Lots yeah. of developers around Whitney are stopping building; they're moving uh, builders to different sites, and the wrong we, types of property, yeah, perhaps. Yeah. You know, are we really thinking yeah. about you know the right type of property for an aging nation? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I know bungalows take a you know, bungalows sort of almost got a stigma attached to it, but they were built for a reason. Yeah. Um, yeah. And maybe we should just revisit, you know, the stock that we're building. I mean, it seems to be predominantly four or five bedroom detached yeah. houses. Yeah, this is quite an interesting protest the other week in the, in the um, Windrush Valley. Uh, the groups went down to the houses at the bottom and actually handed over life jackets to the owners <laughs> of the properties that were down there. So when it floods. Yeah, well, it did, didn't it? So. Yeah. 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 Um, I think wellies would have been more appropriate than life jackets, but I, I get the point. Yeah. Bit, bit of good news though, house sales hit a high for 2019 in November, 4.2% up. Now I reckon probably most of that, um, first time buyers, 14.4% was probably after the election. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I mean, I read there was a lot of um, a mortgage, November, no, mortgage lending in November was pretty high, and um, a huge amount of it was to, you know, first time buyer mortgage yeah. lending. So again, it's government interference, you know, so fine to a point, but. You need to think about the upper end of the market as well. I don't think there's enough thought about helping people who don't want to be living in a four or five bedroom house any longer. Yeah. So there was rumours, and we've yet to have the budget in February or March or whenever it's going to be. And I think to me that's going to be a very interesting um, indicator as to where things are going. But 
the, the, the top end of the market is in gridlock, arguably, at the moment. Yeah. Uh, because it's too expensive for a lot of people, particularly in their latter ages, who are healthy and fit to stay in their own home. Um, but they don't want to fork out a load more stamp duty and the hassle that goes with, you yeah. know, with moving. But those houses are actually underutilised. So, you know, the, the, the overall market, I don't think the government are really thinking it all the way through. It's very focused on first-time buyers. Something had to happen. So just on that sold yeah. numbers, when, when we go and see new clients to value their homes, they, they, they say, uh, well, nothing's selling, is it? You know, that house has been on the market on there for six months and nothing, I see a load of sale boards, nothing's selling. Uh, if you track the data for the number of homes that are actually under offer at any one time and just forget those that are for sale, look at those that are under offer. In 2011 and 12, we had 129 under offer. We had 128 under offer in 2012, and that market was very stable. Mm. We then went through a period where the supply dropped and the amount of homes being sold increased, and that sort of prices pushed up. Yeah. Uh, we then saw December 18, only 105 homes under offer. So that's the homes aren't selling. December 2019, we're back to 128. So 128 okay. homes under offer. The same place as 2011. The really. same place is in that stable market. Yeah. Homes are selling. But the reason people feel that nothing's selling is because the number of homes on the market for sale in those 2011-12 was either 211 or 205. Mm -hmm. But in 2019, it was 392. So they see a lot more homes that are for sale and are not selling. Yeah. Don't worry about those so much. You don't want to be a home for sale. You want to be a home that's sold. Yeah. And if you look at the number of transactions actually occurring... We're about the same as we were in 2011-12, which is for me is great. So don't compare yourself with those that are for sale. Look at those that are still selling. Yeah. So homes, homes are selling. Mm -hmm. I wonder how many other agents actually have all these stats to hand. They're very useful. Um, They're great, aren't they? Well, finishing off the year that was, um, the Queen's Speech confirmed the Renters Reform Bill and the removal of Section 21, and a new lifetime deposit was introduced. Well, that's the idea. So like the idea of a lifetime deposit. And again, I think that's interesting. Um, again, government trying to think making it easier for renting and going from one property to the next, which many people do in there, you know, for many reasons. Um, I think it's slightly flawed that we haven't got time to talk about that now, um, per se. Um, but I think it's important that we are actually, and I think this is a government that's actually quite, they've put a marker out that they're going to improve the home buying and selling process. They're going to improve the sales process. Um, and actually, you know, that's got to be good for all of us, whether we're inside the, the business or trying to sell our house or first-time renter so I think it's positive overall that you know we're just trying to improve things yeah and there's a bit of a public service announcement just remember that 500,000 households affected by whirlpool are recalling their washing machines pretty scary though um, actually yeah it's a big number isn't it so so that's the year that was and what I'd just like to do now is just spend a little bit of time on the year that's coming and get your opinions on something and probably uh, this might actually form our next podcast as well to uh, look a bit deeper into these so, biggest challenge facing estate agents and letting agents in 2020. Um, I guess if you take letting and you take estate agents. Okay, okay sales, after you. <laughs> well, I think the biggest challenge uh, is several, actually. I think um, keeping up with the compliance and legislation is for letting agents and their landlords got to be one of the biggest issues because it's not going to stop just with the electrical safety. It's just been announced. You know, consumer power is going to sort of push that forward. And it's quite wrong that there's still... An issue where you can actually list a property on Rightmove and Zoopla and without that property having been confirmed as being safe. You can drive a car that's been MOT'd, it's had 120 checks on it, and that's at least peace of mind when you buy that car. But if you're a first time renter, do you know that those properties are safe uh, on Rightmove or Zoopla at the moment? No, and I think we've got a long way to go. But 
you know, my point is there's going to be a lot to do with compliance uh, and keeping up with that and, and, and for agents. I think the other thing is, is um, for the agents to find new landlords. You know, we're under a situation at the moment where, you know, there's anti-landlord, arguably anti-landlord strategy with the government. They don't really want to see lots of individual landlords. So for agents who run lettings uh, businesses and management companies, where are they going to get their new clients from? So I think they've got to think about that. And then the perennial problem, the biggest challenge is going to be getting youngsters to want to come into to, to the profession of real estate. Mm. Um, now I've had a great time over 40 years of uh, being involved in a state agent and letting agent, and I'm still involved and I'm still enjoying it. Um, but it's not arguably the first thing you think about at school that you're, you know, you're going to become an estate agent, and you go to a careers convention or something. You probably arguably won't see uh, an estate agency there in amongst army, navy. Um, BMW etc so I think that's a big issue for the industry because we're always going to want to sell homes we're always going to want to rent homes and you've got to have people that want to do that so it's a big issue particularly in Oxfordshire where you know zero unemployment which is wonderful uh, but for you know getting people to and selling the, the idea that it's actually a very uh, interesting and enjoyable job. How yeah. would you do it? I'd get a estate agents licensed and I'd have the licensing <laughs> body promoting their business at maybe National Federation of Property Professionals at these stands because I think uh, we're an independent estate agent. We have seven offices in Oxfordshire. It wouldn't really be possible for us to go to these national trade fairs and try and find people who want to come to work in yeah. Whitney. But there must be a, a place for the NFOPP or similar to uh, attend these shows and, and bring people in for the trade and then pass you know names and phone numbers of companies that are looking. Maybe yeah. you do it that yeah, way. Yeah. Uh, so it becomes non-competitive. If you have two or three big corporate companies that attend because they've got the resources, then they'll probably take the best and put them their way and send the others out. But I think if you had a, an industry regulator that could attend these trade shows. Um, we had, when I was at school, we had leaflets come around to uh, the schools and the careers masters saying, you know, have you thought about a, a career in a state agency? That's how, that's how I got into the business. Yeah, I, wrote, I wrote something on that form I shouldn't have written. And uh, <laughs> as a punishment, just after my A-levels, did my last day on a Wednesday, uh, uh, got sent for an interview as a punishment at an estate agent 40 miles away. Yeah. That was my punishment interview practice, mm -hmm. really quite liked it. Went back on the Friday for a second interview. Saturday and Sunday, moved out home into one of the flats above the, one of the company's offices. Monday started work as an estate agent. There you go. Wow. So, you know, that's proactive, bringing people in. Yeah. And they've never looked back. Well, maybe it's, we, we need to look at some of these big, the big corporations to try and help them in, in improving the, the profile. Of agency, and uh, you know, people, companies like White Moon and Zoopla are taking a lot of money out of the state agency. Maybe yeah. that's something that they could yeah. be adding. Yeah, I think licensing well. will help. You know, hopefully, it'll give the edge to the and the reputation. Yeah. You know, needs to change. What What would you say is the biggest challenge? Um, I, I don't think there's only one big challenge facing our business. I think there's a few that you know we've got to just be mindful of. The first one uh, I've just written down is oversupply. You know, we we carry these stats. We look at them at the moment. We think we're in that new norm if homes continue to bundle onto the market, and even if the same number of homes get sold, the balance between supply and demand will shift and that won't give people the confidence to buy. If prices start coming down too quickly, people will say, I'm just gonna hold on and see where they level. Mm -hmm. And when they hold on, they come down still further. And that's what we've seen in the two or three property recessions I've seen in, in my lifetime. So I think oversupply, we just need to be careful, careful with. Uh, negative press, uh, we all talk about a self-fulfilling prophesy. You know, if you hear in the press, Brexit's bad, you're gonna think Brexit's bad and that's yeah. all you're gonna talk about. If you hear houses aren't selling, if you hear house prices <coughs> are crashing, you're not gonna buy. So it does become a self-fulfilling prophecy. So negative press. 
um, rising interest rates. I did a piece for uh, the Financial Times uh, quite a while, but I did. Yeah. And I kept it, I framed it. That was my, <laughs> my moment of fame because everyone was talking about the relationship between income and house prices. And they had these TV graphs that showed income going like this and house prices going like that. And people were saying houses are not affordable now because they've gone at this rate and salaries are that. I argued that it's not actually a 2D puzzle, it's a 3D puzzle because you've got to factor into this interest rates. So if your salary stays the same and the house price stays the same, but interest rates halve, arguably you could afford twice the size mortgage you could before. So it's definitely not 2D, 3D. Uh, my lifetime in the business, I've been used to interest rates on mortgages around about 10%. That's my that's my norm. For the last few years, if you talk to anybody that's purchased over the last five or 10 years, they'd say if it goes above 3%, we couldn't afford it. So I think uh, another factor for me would be interest rates. If they stay down, and I, I think they will, yeah. I, I think more people are voting to reduce rather than increase. So if they stay down, we'll be okay. But if interest rates suddenly rise for any reason, that could be a problem. Isn't that interesting as well that, that when we talk about house affordability, we look at rent or we look at mortgage. Yeah. Um, and of course, interest rates have an effect on that. But Frank spoke earlier about you know having this house that's, that's actually ready to move into and, and looking at it. If you had um, like your, your property MOT, and it said right, this house actually has got a brand new gas boiler. Yeah. So, it's, so that only costs half to run what any what an equivalent yeah. house does. If it's had all of its drainage done, if it's had its windows done, if it's yeah. if it's installation, it's what does that mean in financial terms? Because you could quite easily then end up with a house that is maybe five six hundred pound cheaper. Yeah. When you take into all of the running yeah. costs into yeah. it, yeah. Then, then just the mortgage. I think that's how they've sold these contracts for cars, isn't it? You know, you buy a new car when it's three year warranty, it's cheaper. You know, you're building yeah. a service contract. Well, I like the theory. Yeah. I think one of the interesting things government are working on, or is talk of now, is these. Uh, not lifetime, but a, a, a long-term mortgages at fixed rates. Yeah. To me, that's the most sensible thing I've heard talked about for ages. Yeah. In, yeah. In, in America, they've had them for ages. My yeah. brother-in-law took out a 30-year mortgage, I think, at 1%. Now, he knew where he stood for 30 we'll years. We'll be on board with yeah. that. The bank, well, yeah. <laughs> but they are looking at it, and I think that makes sense because, yes, you've got to accept that there will be economic turbulence during that long t period, mm. but... In the main, we're man enough and the country's man enough and we surely have got a financial world that now has learnt its lesson that we can you know, take the rough and the smooth on there. Yeah. But if that makes that more affordable for somebody, then that's got to be a sensible thing. Yeah. I, I would happily pay a slightly higher rate to have a longer lock-in period yeah. for stability. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, that's another rising interest rates. Nasty surprises in the Brexit. You know, We've not been through Brexit before. Who knows what's around the corner? There might be some nasty surprises coming yeah. out of it. Bad trade deals, uh, international war. You know, if something uh, goes wrong, war uh, and uh, terrorism on home grounds. I think terrorism is it frightens everybody wherever it happens. But if it happens in on your own grounds in your own country or in your own region, that that does have an effect on the housing market. So we need to be aware of that. Uh, reliable and steady income, uh, as we talked about with uh, wages. I think West Oxfordshire we have the highest uh, percentage of state-employed people. So I think. Their jobs are relatively safe. They're not perhaps so susceptible, worried about you know the business going bust because yeah. they work for the government. So I think if we have that stability, but what I've always yearned for in my business is uh, a week where we value ten new homes, we list five, we sell three, and we move two. And next week we do that. And I've been yearning for that. I've been yearning for uh, a market where prices go up three, four, five percent a year, and it's sustainable growth. But I think external interferences, be they government or, or uh, wars or external, external interferences on the property market are the things that 
make it boom and, and dive and crash and climb. So I think if we just uh, imagine it like flying a glider, one of my old bosses said to me years and years, years ago that the property market is like flying a glider, in that when you're new, you get in there and you've got these sticks and you've got these yeah. pedals and trying to do all this stuff. Actually, if you just let it all go, it will right itself and it'll be fine and then you can take control again. And I think just have a period where we just leave things be. We shall see. Well, I, thought, I thought you'd got dramatic with your, your <laughs> war and the terrorism, but our, our feedback is, um, is actually the biggest challenge is going to be survival. Um, yeah. And, and mainly based on, on being able to control costs, which most agents seem to be being hit by costs that they can't control. Yeah. Um, and at, at the same time, trying to generate sales. Um, so the big costs would be things like advertising, like the portals and things like that, but also staff. Yeah. So it comes back down to Frank's point again of staff, staff, staff. How yeah. are you going to get staff? How are you going to control the costs? Because there's only a limited number of staff out there. The only way you're going to attract them is by paying them more. Yeah. Um, well, and I think making the jobs enjoyable, and I think there's an element certainly in the lettings and the property management sector where the jobs are less enjoyable because it's just a nightmare keeping up with this constant, never-ending. You know, it's like teachers must have felt for years, and you know, police force and other. I'm sure when you know the government tweak and change things, and just when you got this children up to a certain level of a certain O level GCSE, whatever, it suddenly changes. Mm. It's the same in our world. So I think you've got to make the job interesting. Fundamentally, I think it is a really interesting job if you look at as a property manager calling it more of an asset manager and, and you're responsible for you know helping that landlord buy more property um, instead of just thinking that I'm here to fix repair so yeah. I think we as an industry have got to make the, the roles interesting I think we've got to use tech and work with you know your company um, much better so that we can give you the feedback that you need to make the things work not just for us and our staff but then also the owners of the buildings uh, you know and the, the tenants of those properties yeah. as well We've done, we know at least we've got six clients who've got multi-branch, which we've, we've had more than five branches. Um, and of those, four of them have closed one of the branches. And it, in, in every case, it was a branch that didn't have a lettings portfolio. Right. So it was a sales, a sales branch on its own, um, and then that was closed. I think okay. that's fine, but you've got to have the spread of qualified people. It's no good in the state don't think it's, it's the route to survival by just having, as it was historically, a couple of people in the back of the office or even in the basement you know doing lettings without you know knowing yeah. what they're doing and vice versa if a letting thinks they should go into sales they've got to know what they're doing have the specialisms and if you think about it you know we've got that ability in our amazing industry you know to do block management letting sales um, deal with affordable homes work with housing associations uh, develop and you know there's such a diverse spectrum of things that we can get involved in but you can only do it with the resources and with the people that know what they're doing. The two agents that have closed uh, most recently in Whitney are agents that had uh, agents that were sales and lettings people. Right. We as a business have a very strong lettings portfolio. We look after just over a thousand properties that we let and manage, uh, but we have a specialist team that deal with that. We have a specialist team that deals with sales. The two estate agents that have closed most recently in Whitney are those that have done sales and lettings to the same person. I have tried it. I had a year where I looked after lettings as well. I've got lots of clients. Never again. Because you let your hair though. Oh my days. It, it was terrible because my, my selling clients, you know, I spend a lot of time with them. I go and meet with them. We drink tea. We discuss the marketing. We spend a lot of time because, you know, our commission can be several thousands of pounds when we move. And it takes, you know, six months, nine months for the whole process from the first time we value it to when they move. But you can spend that time with them because you, you're earning the money. When we're dealing with rentals, I had the same clients who wanted to spend the same time and I was going to earn £150 a month. Yeah. And you know, I just can't afford to give that time to that client because they're letting. But yeah. I can't say to that client, if you're selling, I'll come. If you're letting, I can't. Yeah. 
they are different beasts, aren't they? Yeah, and absolutely. And was we drink tea? Is that a euphemism? We drink tea, <laughs> <laughs> coffee, beer. Okay, so a quick one, really. Um, so house house prices and lettings accordingly in twenty twenty. Do you think they're going to rise? I think rents are going to rise probably more rapidly in the first part of the year because I think we've still got this sort of hiatus for taxation where landlords are dropping out of the market and maybe it suits them certain age and stage in their life. So at the moment, there's no real incentive to do buy to let, and you know I can't see a lot more stock coming on the market. So I think rents are going to go up, and not least because we're still going through this phase where because yeah. of the tenant fee ban. Last, so last week's stat was 26% of landlords, I think, have sent at least one property. Yeah, I mean, I think that's where agents need to give them advice, because I would say to people, before you do that, what are you going to do with the money? Yeah. Now, if you've got a good reason for it. But also, we've got to educate landlords to keep that wealth in the family. There are many taxation strategies, uh, and this is where I think accountants need to work with other partners, such as uh, property managers need to work with accountants and other professionals, so that you work together collaboratively to actually give the consumer the right sort of advice. Um, because I don't believe everybody should just sell because the government have introduced this, that and the other, or whatever, you know, fine if it really is the last resort, you must, but it's very wrong, I think, for our industry just to roll over and say, oh yes, just, just sell, you know, you should, do, you should do that. We should give people the right advice. Yeah. Um, but I think rents normally go up with inflation, I've said before, and I think that's what will happen. Um, but it depends on, on the stock availability, you know, throughout the year. House prices? Same. Okay. Is this a yes, no, or can I have a maybe? Have <laughs> a maybe. I'll go maybe uh, for two reasons. One is uh, the argument to say house prices will rise is because we've saw, seen a little bit of offside this year, in two, or last year, 2019, and therefore there's room for growth. There's some real good bargains out there. And when they start to sell, people have to buy those that have probably not been discounted so much. So that would push prices up a bit. Um, if, though, we see this continuing rise in supply, even if the same amount of sales happen each month, each quarter, but it's off a bigger uh, set of profits to choose from, that will push prices down a little bit. But I don't see any wholesale crash. I looked uh, before I came in today at the amount of buyers we dealt with and the amount of sellers we dealt with last year that were needs-based versus wants-based. Yeah. So what you have is people that actually do need to move, and you have people yeah. that, oh, I'd like to buy over there one day. Uh, around about 70% of the people we moved last year, sellers and buyers, were needs-based buyers. And therefore, I think the transactional volume we've seen in historic times will continue. Yeah. Will that price, be at prices higher or lower? Well, it depends on the amount of supply. So if the supply stays where it is, I think in the level market, if supply falls and less homes become available, prices could rise. I think it's, it also depends on our spending ability and our, doesn't it? I mean, if you look at what's happened in retail over Christmas, it's not been great. You know, even Hello John, John Lewis is, is saying it's not been great. So, you know, I think unless there's a massive change to our even perception of our ability to be able to afford, I mean, it's, it's perverse in a way because, you know, interest rates, as we've just talked about, historically the lowest they've ever been. Yeah. So it's actually the best opportunity ever to go off and yeah. take a mortgage out, particularly if they do these long-term mortgages. So, but you've still got to be able to pay it back together with all the other associated costs. So, um, you know, that, that's to me a big issue. So I think the budget in February, March is actually going to be very interesting just to see whether government's marker is and you know how stable well, things are going to be. Our feedback on sales does seem to be that um, you know the rocket fuel of buy to let has been turned off. Mm. There is some concern about interest rates floating around. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's Brexit related. Um, so back to your glider. I think that with with that removed, we might be in a point where the market will find its own level. Yeah. But I would say that'd be more like an ice age than a tsunami. It's it's not going to be a, a rapid correction. There's going to be no. just a very gradual settling. I think and, and rents are, 
and again that our research shows that you're exactly right that there will be an increase yeah. in, in rents in the early in the first quarter if you look at the, the steep rise in properties for sale over the last three years 17 18 19 if you're seeing this you might be able to see this if not then mm. go with me but the rise the, the rate of climb of properties for sale over the last 12 months has definitely slowed so we're not seeing year on year more and more we're seeing stabilization if that stabilization is the new norm mm. and the balance between supply and demand stays at that level what that will mean is that house prices will by and large will stay the same yeah, yeah. and that's surely a better market for everybody you can oh, plan yeah 36 years yeah. Waiting for this. <laughs> exactly come on yeah <laughs> well, i think we've, we've kind of covered um, our property predictions for 2020 um so just one last final one then uh, what would you do if you were the housing minister tim i would i would um proceed with great caution, I think um, interference by government, interference by external factors, as I've already said, often has a negative impact and creates the outcome which is the opposite to what they've actually set out to achieve. So I would, uh, I would probably leave it alone. Um, I, I know government take uh, advice from property or industry specialists, but quite often they're people that are high up on boards of big companies and they're not at the coalface. So I think they should probably work with smaller groups of, of local people that know what's actually happening because you can't introduce a law that's good for everybody based on the averages of the total total market. So try and get into, into that actually, try and fix the conveyance in progress, the program that we've already got through licensing and make what we've got work because that is a far quicker fix to the to the issues we've faced over the last 20 30 years yeah. than changing the legislation yeah stick what we've got make it work and make it work by professionalizing the industry regulating the companies and regulating the people i would 100 percent agree with licensing if i was the housing minister there i am I'm, yeah. I'm licensing straight away so um the final word is going to go to you frank well i would ask the prime minister to allow me to do the job for more than six months <laughs> Um, we've had about 13 housing ministers in about the same amount of years or something. It's a crazy stat. So I would insist that unless I've done something wrong, I'm in it now for the term of you know, government, as it were. So, because I think it's very wrong to have the head figure of you know, the person who's dealing with housing just to be coming and going. It, it doesn't, you know, if you're serious about it, government should put somebody you know, in charge who is going to stick with it. I, I agree with Tim, he needs to look um, beyond the larger firms, beyond the big developers. Um, it's not a job that I think anybody would relish um, because there's so many, you know, complexities. Um, actually, that said, you know, it's actually a, a really interesting role because, you know, we're getting there. I think we are clearly building more homes. Um, I wouldn't keep tweaking with all the legislation. I think we've got to say enough is enough. So I really would look at what Julie Rugger said and maybe have another think. You know, um, it's quite major, but that is that you know, law currently fit for purpose? And I don't think it is. Um, yeah, I think it's a very interesting role, not one I'd want, uh, but I'd want to do it for a slightly longer period than most have done it in the last yeah. few years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, gentlemen, thank you very much indeed. That's the end of our first Ponder Property. Um, hopefully we'll get some positive comments from this and uh, we'll be back in a short while for another one. Perfect. Thanks very much. Thank you. Cheers, guys. Thanks, Pete. Thank, thank you. Yeah, likewise. Soon.